0: Welcome to the Company You Keep podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hahn. Today I am sitting down with Jillian Bremer of Sweet and Spark. Hey, Jillian. Hi, how are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me in your home. And um, I'm super excited because I haven't been able to really sit down with someone who's obsessed with vintage as much as me. So for those of you who don't know uh, Sweet and Spark, it's all vintage handpicked jewelry and it's absolutely beautiful stuff and i actually can see some of it right around your apartment right now so i'm so excited to hear your story and your journey so why don't we get started um where are you from
1: i'm originally from buffalo new york well actually a little small town um, west of buffalo uh, called Fredonia and fun fact, my high school mascot was a hillbilly. What? So I grew up in a very um, that is a very so small funny. town um, and it was it's a very blue collar. What uh, was the name of your high school Little city. Um, Fredonia, Hill hillbillies.
0: Hillbillies. That is so funny.
1: It, uh, yeah, it is. That's where I'm from. Those are my roots. We always joke. You can take the girl out of Fredonia, but you can't take the Fredonia out of the
0: girl. Okay. So do you go back and visit?
1: I do. I actually, so the story is I travel around the country with my dad and we pick from estates and flea markets and antique malls all around the country, but we actually find a lot of the best stuff um, in upstate New York and Western New York. So I do really spend a lot of time at home, which I love since I'm so far away from my family. It's really nice to have a reason to go back there uh, more often than just the holidays. Yeah.
0: That's so nice. Okay. So I want to rewind. So you grew up um, in upstate New York and then where'd you go to school and how'd you end up in San Francisco? Yeah.
1: So I, uh, went to school at Syracuse university, which was not far from home. Um, I guess I had no idea what I was getting myself into weather-wise because, believe it or not, Syracuse has more snow than Buffalo. Um, but the I had an amazing experience at Syracuse. I went to school for retail management. Oh, cool. Um, I loved shopping, and retail was always just such a passion of mine, so I was really excited to go to school and study something that I loved.
0: When did you figure out that you could actually like shop for a living? Because I remember when I I didn't know I could do interior design, which is what I studied in college. And I feel like until a little bit later in life, and I was like, oh, you could get paid to design things. So like, when did you think that you could go into retail management and actually make a living?
1: Um, I don't know. I guess I always, when I grew up, loved um, getting like catalogs in the mail from my mom and I would cut out the clothes and like put together collages and um, I've loved clothes and fashion and retail forever. Okay. Um, As a kid, I loved playing cashier.
0: Oh yeah. Groceries. (laughs) I mean, literally anything Mm
1: -hmm. um, to that, to that respect. And I remember when I was looking at schools, my mom was like, well, what do you want to do? And she would always be like, well, do you want to be this or that? And I'd always say, no, 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 no. So one day she gave me a list of everything you could possibly be and told me to cross out anything that I didn't want to do. And I was literally left with three things. Oh, wow. (laughs) So I actually made it really easy to figure out. It was a different approach. And uh, I ended up with retail management. So we looked at schools that uh, specialized in that particular area. And then I ended up at Syracuse.
0: Oh, cool. Um, What were the other two? That you didn't cross oh, off man. the list. You I remember? think it was fashion
1: design. They were all kind of in the same realm, but when I really sat down and thought about my um, skill sets, yeah. like I can't. I'm I have great ideas, but when it comes down to the actual execution, right, I'm a mess. Okay, so you I'm knew not what your crafty. Were at the time. I'm not. I can't make things. Okay, I can dream them, but right. I can't make them.
0: Yeah, you can give direction. Right, great. Oh, good. Okay. So then you, your mom obviously was really supportive and helped you sort of guide you towards what to study in school. And then you graduated and what happened after that? So I, um, during college,
1: I got the opportunity to study abroad in London, which was an amazing experience. I did Uh, did a lot of traveling.
0: Oh man. Uh, we're similar in age. So we may have been there at the same time. I was there like 2000, 2005. Oh, yeah, my gosh. I graduated in
1: 2006. It's so
0: funny. So, yeah. That's so funny.
1: Really awesome experience. Met a lot of really cool people. Opened up my eyes to how big the world is. Um, did a lot of traveling, as I'm sure you did. And... Uh, came back from studying abroad and spent a summer in New York City, which I thought my dream was to live in New York and be yeah, this, like,
0: especially being from there. I exactly. bet that's like the next big step. Yeah, for it
1: was always such a dream to be like a big city girl and in this hustle and have this big, huge, amazing career and be super successful. And I got to New York and I did an internship, a buying internship with Bloomingdale's. Oh, cool! And
0: that sounds like huge. It
1: was awesome, yeah. Not, but I worked suit every day in the summer and it was so corporate and it was very, um, I learned a lot very quickly and that department store buying was not for me. Okay. Um,
0: what was and, it like? Was it more like political? Like It you was couldn't very, be very cre- creative. There was
1: not much creativity. It was very financial driven. A lot of pressure to get the best price and negotiate. Oh my gosh. Um, it was not creative. Wow. So I went back to Syracuse, spent my final year interviewing at a bunch of companies and got an amazing opportunity to move out to San Francisco and start in a, train- a nine-month-long training program with Gap Inc.,
0: oh, cool. which was
1: an incredible... Incredible experience.
0: Um, was this an internship or was this a paid position? It was a
1: paid position. Okay. So the way the training started was that you spent three months in different functions of the business, one being merchandising, the other being planning and then production Um, merchandising was obviously where my heart was, but the difference between merchandising and department store buying is that merchandising, you have a greater hand in the product development process and it's a lot more creative since you're developing product in-house. And After the nine-month training program, I stayed on as an assistant buyer for their Old Navy brand and spent a few years um, in San Francisco.
0: That sounds amazing. It
1: was awesome. I think the coolest part about um, that experience was the friends that I made in the training program. It was like everybody was in the same stage of their life. We just graduated college. Um, We're all really excited to be in a new big city with people that had shared interests. Mm -hmm. And they are some... I mean, it's been, God, I I don't even want to say it, like close to 10 years (laughs) later, and they're some of my best friends.
0: Um, And that's such a fun age, I feel like, to be in San Francisco, because the city is like it is so much fun there's so much that it has to offer and in throughout the stages of your life you can like learn different things that you can do in San Francisco and so to start you know as like a college grad and then work your way up and you know meet new friends all that is super cool
1: yeah it was a very um, amazing experience and I think Gap Inc what I took away from that experience was that it is such a well-oiled machine that it was an amazing place to learn the fundamentals at a very like microscope of like how to be a product focused merchant, like how to really understand, um, your customer and create a compelling assortment for them.
0: And that's really hard to figure out. I mean, to have a, training and a background in that seems really valuable whether you're starting your own business or you know you're you're building a brand you have to know who your customer is and you have to figure out what they want to (laughs) buy so I mean do you have any you obviously probably know that pretty well do you have any tips of like how to figure out what your customer might want or you know, do you research your customer, especially for your business now?
1: Yeah, so it's so much trial and error. Yeah, um, and I think it's so hard to like pinpoint it to one customer, but I do think it's really important to make sure that you're keeping who that person in, that you're targeting in mind. The way that Sweet and Spark started was the brand is really about. Um, it started out of a passion for vintage jewelry um, and what I loved, and I think being in mass market retail in my corporate career, I had a really good understanding of what the average all American 25 to 35 year old female wanted. Mm -hmm. And I knew what I liked. And I think I had a very well-trained merchant eye. So I kind of just started with what I liked and kept it really focused. I think the key is to like try something keep it focused and then start with trial and error and testing out different things okay um so like when i first started it was all about like very classic bold gold jewelry from like the 1980s to the 90s mm-hmm. which i love you're sitting here looking at me and i have these huge earrings on which these, are
0: fabulous <laughs> these big huge
1: pearls i love a statement earrings <laughs> Um, but what I'm learning is that people actually like very feminine um, pieces. One of the top viewed uh, collections on our site is the 1950s. Oh, so interesting. the product. It, it, for all of you that have been following me for uh, along this journey, I'm sure you've seen the product evolve, mm-hmm. and I'm. it's only going to get better as I start learning more about my customer. And the way that I look at my business now is I really think about it as there's three different girls. And so I'm buying for and assorting the product for three different um, style personalities. Okay. Um, the all-American, classic, preppy girl. There's this feminine girl, and then there's this... Um, like boho, edgier um, girl. So I'm really trying to assort to all uh, customer types. And I think the cool thing about vintage is that since you span so many decades, Um, there's so much vintage jewelry out there. You really can create um, compelling assortments for each of your customer bases.
0: Sure, and that's so smart that you have sort of honed in on those three types of women that are going to be buying your jewelry because I think that's really important to be focused. And like you said, there is so much vintage out there that – It could be a little bit difficult and maybe you you could go like crazy and buy too much. But if you're super focused and you know these three groups of people are who I'm buying for and you keep that in mind, I think that could be like so helpful for your brand and for anybody who's, you know, really actually buying for anything. You have to keep that client in mind for every single purchase that you make. Exactly. So let's um, go back a little bit. I know that your father has, it's part, not only part of this company, but like has been a big influence in you and your life and, and with an- buying antiques from when you were a young kid. So talk to us a little bit about, um, being surrounded by antiques from a young age yeah. and what your dad sort of how is how he has he influenced you
1: yeah so my dad is awesome <laughs> we have so much fun together oh, I think so he cool. is
0: you never hear about like a father-daughter know, brand he's just
1: the raddest I think growing <laughs> up um he was just such a fan of um or he, what he showed my sister and I, who my sister is also an entrepreneur is that it's really important in life to just do what you love. And so he has been antiquing his whole life.
0: Um, is he an entrepreneur? He
1: is, he owns a house painting business, but he's been an antiquing on the side his whole life because that's what he loves to do. So Um, and so he really instilled that value into us that it's really important to just be happy. It's really just about being happy. That is so
0: nice because a lot of kids and a lot of our generation, we don't have that instilled into us. It's like, how can you make the most money and what careers are going to be the most, most, you know, financially fruitful. And not a lot of the time do we get that be happy message so that's really nice. Yeah,
1: it's a, uh, it was a pretty, it's pretty incredible thing to learn. And I've learned along my process because coming from corporate, it was like, it just became this crazy rat race and it was like money, money, money. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not actually fulfilled. Right. So traveling around the country with my dad is probably one of the most fulfilling things. Um, I've now, were you done.
0: doing this before when you were still working for The Gap? Were you traveling around with your dad?
1: Yeah, so what happened after the gap? Um, <clears throat> to fill you guys in, I moved actually to Pittsburgh for an opportunity with American Eagle to help them um, build a new brand. It was a kid's brand called 77 Kids that ended up closing. But it was an incredible experience, again, with an amazing team and a chance to really feel like what a startup feels like with the luxury of having it back. (laughs) Budget. Money. (laughs) That's amazing. I learned a lot from a very scrappy macro perspective uh macro um perspective. So taking the micro things I learned from Gap and really like knowing having the skill set and then putting that marrying that with like the unknown of this like crazy startup. Um it really uh set me up for what a cool my next experience. venture.
0: Experience. That's really great.
1: So when that brand ended up closing, I decided that it was my time to take It was time to take uh, a little break and just be me. So I spent a summer traveling and back home with my family. And my parents are divorced. And so uh, my dad, when you're like 25, 26 in your mid-20s, you're like, Oh God, what do you do with your dad? Like, yeah. it's kind of weird. It's kind of <laughs> yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, you don't just like go have lunch all the time. Right. I mean, dads don't really, I don't know. There's more to it than that. So totally. he was like, why don't you come yard sailing with me on a Saturday morning? Oh. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like yeah. I can do this. Um, and it was like that morning that we actually went to a flea market at like 5am. And I was like, Oh my, Oh my God oh my god this stuff is amazing i hadn't been out in 15 years 20 years and i just started buying some pieces like and
0: jewelry at the time
1: jewelry at the time i had been collecting it in a very very small way um my whole life but not it was more of like what my dad had given me i'd never gone out and picked it myself so um sorry no worries um So it was that morning when we were, like, buying uh, some pieces that I started. I just... My brain was just going crazy with ideas, and... I just felt like I had to give this idea a shot like I had to make vintage jewelry cool for Mm -hmm. the modern girl like Mm -hmm. when you think about vintage there's like all of these like random places to get it but like no one really knows what they're doing it's not curated it's It's not really
0: hard to find stuff that somebody else has has a great eye and has picked it out for you yeah I have a really I mean I do vintage furniture in the past I had obviously found a lot of vintage furniture and people would say the same thing to me. Like I love vintage furniture, but I can't pick out like what's good for my house. So having somebody that's curating the collection is like super important. And
1: here's the thing. This is what I always say. Uh, vintage jewelry, not all vintage jewelry is created equal. Mm -mm. So just because it's vintage doesn't mean it's good. So I literally have books on every decade, every designer. And I know when a piece has been altered or if it's, um, not in its original condition. Um, and those pieces you'll never see because we we don't buy them or we don't – and even if we do because sometimes we're buying in bulk at big estates, um, we get rid of it. Right. You don't so, put it on your website. No, you this resell. isn't like go out and buy everything you buy, You see at a flea market. I mean, right. we'll be out in an antique fair or a flea market, and we're buying – and we're seeing thousands of pieces, and we may only leave with a couple hundred. Yeah. Like we are hand picking the best stuff that makes sense for the modern girl today. So
0: not only is your company like heavily curated, but it's also you have done an enormous amount of research so that your pieces are really authentic.
1: Exactly. That's
0: great. Exactly.
1: And we don't, when we look at our assortment, it's either in excellent quality or good quality, Mm -hmm. meaning like anything that is overly tarnished, not in its original condition we won't sell it. I will never take a chance on that. Yeah. It's not worth it.
0: That's great. So you have a lot of pride in what you sell and you want your product to be the highest quality.
1: Exactly. I, I'm like a, the world's worst, uh, salesperson. <laughs> so to have a retail business and not be a great salesperson is an interesting thing. Why and do you say that? I just, I don't want anyone to ever feel obligated okay, to be buying. Okay. I feel the
0: same way. But
1: I think what, I'm really proud of is the jewelry and it's literally better in person. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, I get very few returns and I think people are just like when they get it in the mail, it's even better in person. It is true. And the quality of vintage jewelry is just, it's incredible. Um, it doesn't tarnish very easily. It, lasts, it will last for the it rest already of has, your life. Look how long
0: it's lasted it's already. It's just
1: amazing. So to be proud of selling mm-hmm. something makes this even more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. It's also helping the environment. Um I think sometimes we get stuck in this mindset that, like, these things are going to, like, make us better people or change who we are or if we have more. And sometimes when we realize that, like, we already have enough, um, it's, like, one of the biggest realizations and that you don't need to just keep buying new. Um, sometimes it's just, like, reusing what you have. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that- there's already
0: so much great stuff out there. So let's try and find that and incorporate exactly. that. Exactly. Good. That's so great. Okay. So you would, you were in Pittsburgh and you went back home and trying to figure out what to do with your life. you kind of going through like what's next sort of point, which has come up on a lot of shows is that a lot of entrepreneurs before they start their business are usually at like a crossroads, you know, they just finished a great job and, or, and they weren't very fulfilled. Um, or, you know, you came from corporate and maybe you were ready to do something a little bit different. Sounds like that's where you are. And so how did you decide that you wanted to start your own business and, and kind of, how did you sort of build that from the beginning? <laughs>
1: yeah. So, well, when I was working at American Eagle, um, I spent a lot of time getting to know myself and I spent a lot of time reading entrepreneurial books and following these, um, very inspirational leaders watching Ted talks. And I was feeling like I needed, there was more that I had to give and that I needed to, I needed to figure out what that was. So even if this jewelry company isn't it or who knows what will happen. I don't think anybody does. Um, Sometimes you just got to start like you're never, you can't just wait for the best idea. You just have to pick one and just go.
0: That's really good advice. I feel like just starting is like the hardest thing for people to wrap their head around. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you might even second guess your great idea. So I think that's really, really good advice. It's like, just start. And you know what? Maybe it's going to be a failure, but you will always learn something from it. And
1: sometimes quitting and knowing when to quit is just as powerful as starting.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, I think that's a great. And I want to touch on that a little bit. Um, Okay, so you're in New York at the time. And you're antiquing with dad, and you're finding all this great stuff. And you decide to build a website, or
1: yeah, I decide to build a website. Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had a very very small lifestyle blog um, called Sweet and Spark um, when I was living in Pittsburgh. It was literally the smallest thing ever, but what it did was it it um, started to allow me to, um, experiment with photography and web design and coding and a, like little bit of basics. So when I started, I kind of knew how, how I was going to go about starting. Um, I think the hardest part was having the idea, um, and then actually getting it up for business. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, I moved to Cal back to San Francisco. Um, San Francisco is my absolute favorite city. And I just think the, um, the city is just an amazing place for entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and the energy here is just incredible. Um, so in the midst of all of that transition and trying to start a business, it was just a really uncertain, funky time. Um, and then when I actually got the website up, it it kind of – I mean, this is three years ago, but it's, it's like slowly – you're always building – towards it. I Mm -hmm. look at a website as it's never in a final place. Right. You're always making improvements. It's never done. No, (laughs) exactly. Um, and along that journey, it was just putting myself outside of my comfort zone, meeting random people for coffee, reconnecting with old coworkers from the gap, um, reaching out to friends and asking them to spread the word. I mean, Nobody is going to believe in your idea more than you do. Right. And you have to put yourself out there. You have to go to a networking
0: events. Mm-hmm. You have to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that's the scariest thing is being vulnerable and trying to promote your business when you don't really have a lot of other people promoting it for you. And like, you have to be your, you have to be the biggest advocate for yourself. And sometimes that can be really hard. You do.
1: So I think along this journey, um, what I've learned is you better get really comfortable with hanging out with yourself.
0: Yeah. Uh, (laughs)
1: because you need to, you need to, um, be happy with, yourself before you can actually um build something.
0: Yeah. So were you working at, at another company while you started Sweet and Spark when you got back to San Francisco?
1: I didn't. I was lucky enough to have a small severance package that that allowed me to make the changes and give me a little bit of time. And then from there, it's honestly been a roller coaster. There's been really incredible moments and there's been some really tough times too. Mm-hmm. Um the thing is is you have to it's like any relationship like, you have a relationship with your business. There are some days that it's not exciting and inspiring. Mm-hmm. You still have to show up for it every single day, right. even on mm-hmm. the hard days. So it is the blood, sweat, and tears that get it to where it is. There is not a tipping point. Mm-mm. There
0: is not. There's no, like, special magic like code. Like, it's not just, like, going to be great one day. It's, like, it's hard work. Every it's day. fulfilling, and you're being... I, At least I feel this way. Like it feels like it's so rewarding, but it's hard, and you always have to put in like a hundred and twenty percent every day, even yeah.
1: when you don't want to show up. Yeah, you have to.
0: Yeah, you have no choice. And some people, I don't think, understand that right away. They think like, "Oh, can't you just run out and do this?" But it's like. No, you don't have as much flexibility and free time as people might think as an entrepreneur because there's just like so much on your back and so much that you have to get done and there's nobody else that's going to do it for you so it's like from accounting to marketing to setting up meetings with lawyers and you, i'm on the phone with my banker like half like or if the wi-fi goes down and you're like there's just so much stuff that like normally in a co- like in a corporate environment you might call it but you can't so it's like every day it's just maxed out with stuff you have to get (laughs) I agree, and I think
1: um, I think it's really important as an entrepreneur to know to envision what you want it to be, so that you know what you're working towards. Because you have to manage the the macro and then the daily the daily grind, and you but you have to know where you're trying to go. And I think as an entrepreneur, there's so many definitions of it. You can you can get funding and be huge and build this huge company, or you can be A small business or you can just, it depends what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is that you get to decide. Um, and for me, what I've decided is I just want to, to live my lifestyle and be able to share with a community, amazing jewelry. Um, so for me, it's not about, um, trying to get to the next level faster. What I've thoroughly enjoyed is teaching myself all of these new skills through Mm -hmm. reading trial and error, um, It's like one, as soon as I master one thing, whether it's like figuring out website conversion or Facebook advertising or, um, social media, it's like, there's always something next. And so it's this learning process, not only spending time with my dad, but also this learning process of
0: being a business owner. That is what
1: is fulfilling. It's not, it's not where I'm trying to go. That's fulfilling. It's like, it's the learning. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's like late at night when I'm reading a business book and I'm like, have an aha moment and I'm
0: like, Oh my God. Like, yeah. Something you need to try. I've been doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I've had definitely had those moments. And those are the
1: best parts. Yeah. You amaze yourself. Yeah. Like there are just times where it's just like, I'm like, I did that.
0: How did I do that? And you feel proud of what you've accomplished. You do. Yeah. Actually, I want to touch on that because you have built an incredible Instagram following. You guys have to follow our Instagram because it's beautiful jewelry and who doesn't want to look at that? Um, on Instagram, you're Sweet and Spark with an N. Same with Twitter. And then if you want to look her up on Facebook, she's Sweet and Spark. So it should be really easy to find. But um, let's talk about building up your, your Instagram following. Um, and if, and Facebook as well, and did you do any, um, advertisements on Facebook and what worked for you in terms of like social media and advertising?
1: Yeah. So I think the key about social media is that you just have to stay true to yourself. Like I try, as soon as I put pressure on myself to like post three times a day, it
0: it just doesn't work.
1: Yeah, I, think it's I get quality. so nervous with
0: Instagram. Like, I get so nervous of like what I'm gonna put up and like how many posts need to go up. And then I forget one day, and I'm like, ah, I'm killing this brand. So yeah. How do you? <laughs> I think it's quality over uh, quantity. Um, okay. Is how I see
1: it because it's different from like a blogging perspective. I mean, that is so much more like they're It's so important to a brand or a blogger to have like three pictures a day, but a small business owner like myself, like you guys might follow my pretty pictures, but behind the scenes, I probably haven't showered. Um, I'm <laughs> yeah. working my butt off listing yeah. new arrivals for you. I am running around the city buying props for photo shoots. Like it is the grind. Mm-hmm. Like I am, I it's a lot of work. So, so despite
0: all that, you still actually have this persona of like the most beautiful brand. right? And so, so that is so hard to do. It's hard to do, <laughs> which is why I probably
1: only post once a day, but I, I try to make it really authentic mm-hmm. and I'm really trying to share more about my journey as an entrepreneur too, because there's so much I want to share. It's just sometimes I have to stop and really think about what is meaningful to share and what will help other people and get people excited about either venturing on their own path or just following. Knowing that there's um, that there's little um, tidbits of information. Well, I'm sure
0: you're inspiring tons of people just doing this uh, interview today. And Hopefully. I actually first found you on the Everygirl. Which um, is great for female entrepreneurs and to get your sort of voice out there. And I particularly love reading those interviews because it's like you get to see what other female entrepreneurs are doing. So I think you had touched on wanting to spread your entrepreneurial story. So I think that's a, this is a great way and doing interviews like that is a great way story because people are really interested in that.
1: Yeah. And I I hope in 2016, there's a lot more of that to come. As I'm building this business and entering year four, I think I'm finally feeling that I'm at a place where I'm able to give back. And I think it's so important to um, inspire and um, help fellow female entrepreneurs. Yes. I
0: could not agree more. I
1: think having the community and knowing that it's okay to feel all of these things that it's okay to say, Hey, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, or
0: you have self-doubt. Or yeah. That's you're okay. Just, think, They're yourself. all
1: very, very, very normal feelings yeah. and you just have to work through them.
0: Absolutely. So, um, back to Facebook, did you, do you do Facebook advertising and does that work for you?
1: Yeah, I really, so I've dabbled in it a little, honestly, I haven't mastered it yet. Mm-hmm. It's on my list. Stuck
0: is hard.
1: Yeah. So I think there's a lot of people that are like, oh, it doesn't work for me, and I don't know that. But I think maybe they just haven't figured it out because I hear a lot of people that are like, "Uh, that's how we built our whole business.
0: Yeah, I've heard both sides of the spectrum. I think it's about
1: mastering it. Mm -hmm. I think there's a way to figure things out. And I think Facebook, as much as people want to say, oh, they don't show other brand stuff in my feed, or Mm -hmm. it won't get shown in my followers' feeds unless they like it, embrace what they've built. Mm -hmm. It is... in a a very powerful tool to reach billions mm-hmm. of potential customers. And so for me, I'm looking at it as an opportunity. Anytime someone throws a challenge, I think <laughs> it's really important to like, look at that. It's like, okay, well, how can we master that? Right. I'm going to figure it out. So, so it's on um, the list,
0: I have just re- we just recently launched, um, our first Facebook campaign for truck and barter, which is our retail store. And if you guys want to check out our brand new website, it's truckandbarter.co and Um, and it's like superior quality goods for your life and home. So, I actually had a really successful Facebook campaign. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and I, we, we set our limit budget at $150. So it wasn't a ton of money. It was definitely doable. And we got like over 700 likes. So it was oh. really interesting because I, I had also done them with Mrs. Vintage, my last company, and I, didn't, I wasn't that successful. So I don't know if I had changed my um, customer reach a little bit and made it a little bit more specific. But do you do that when you launch an ad? Do you like look through um, who it's going to show it to, and, and do you get really specific, or do you do a more of a broad? So range? I
1: think what I've learned um, from Facebook ads, well, one, it's like a funnel, right? A sales funnel is so important. You even in um, pitching press, which I pitch all of my own press, um, a warm lead is so much better than a cold lead, and so it's really about figuring out how to like introduce people to your brand and who you are, and then. And then knowing that, like, that lead could lead to something later. Mm -hmm. Like, just asking for a sale up front or a feature and an article, it's never going to happen. Like, the chances are just so much lower. So I think the cool thing about Facebook ads and what I'm learning is that there's uh, lookalike audiences. um, And you can target... Uh, traffic that has already been to your site. So with like a small tracking thing that's on the back end of your site, you can actually just retarget people that have already been on your site. So those people already know you. Um, so I think sometimes cold leads are just, um, I think in a sales funnel, you need to have a little bit of both, but you also need to keep the warm leads warm. So it's like, once you get people in to be part of your community too. It's like, how are you keeping them engaged? Yes. So these are all things I'm learning and experimenting with, um, to,
0: with email campaigns too. Okay. And your email campaigns are great. Thank and you. do you use a professional photographer for everything? Yeah, so yeah, I think I mentioned,
1: so nice. thank you so much. I think I mentioned earlier that um, when it comes to executing my ideas, I can't do them. So <laughs> I don't know anything about Photoshop and photography. Yeah, all things I wish so I knew. I wish that I knew them a long time ago. And I, I have kind of taught myself the basics, especially um, in year one when I didn't have a budget to do that. Like, if you guys remember, my face <laughs> it was all over the website um, no. using a <laughs> tripod. <laughs> At least now someone else is taking my picture picture even though uh, sometimes it's still me um but um and what I learned was that uh as soon as I had a budget that it was really important to find people that were had the same aesthetic as me and could help elevate my brand to the next level a lot of times visually, you, visually like you can't do this all on your own like at it's some point hardest thing some point you out. just have to be really honest with your strengths and your weaknesses and get people to help you where you like you're just never going to be good at yeah and so for me that was um I have an amazing product photographer. I have an amazing lifestyle photographer, a graphic designer, and a web developer, yeah. and and that's basically my team. So they all work freelance with me, mm-hmm. which I
0: love because it gives me flexibility. So nice. And I, I'm kind of in the same boat right now. I'm I know I'm not a great I'm not a strong writer, but I really want to have a strong newsletter and a strong blog. So I'm kind of trying to figure out freelance people to to work with me with truck and barter to kind of get that the, the vision that I see our brand in front of people in terms of like pictures and in the newsletter. So you've done a really great job of that. Thank you. Thank you. That all goes out to my
1: team. I, (laughs) I, that one's all ideas and then my team executed and they're amazing. But you
0: have the big idea. And your brand is always super on point. Like, it always Thank makes sense. You. And your little pictures are always... They all represent your brand. Thank so you. That means a lot. Sometimes when you're mm-hmm. in, like, the nitty-gritty, you're like, oh, I don't know.
1: I don't yes. know. But when I don't... I just go for it.
0: Yeah. I just go for it. How often do you feel like you're just trusting your instincts? Do you feel like you rely on that a lot?
1: Um, <laughs> my gut instinct is probably the strongest thing. It's like, I can't ignore it. Yeah. I actually over the three years um, having this business and living my life, like my gut instinct, I have to listen to it.
0: Great. It's
1: gotten me where I am because there's a lot of uncertain moments, even right before something huge happens. It's scary. I'm like, Oh God, what if they take that deal away? What if they write me back tomorrow? And they're like, no, that it's, we can't have you do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just have to keep moving forward and know that like you have to take the risks to get to the next place. And Well, those muscles get stronger, this like listening to your gut and being vulnerable and all these things, living in uncertainty, having courage, Mm -hmm. um, even though you still feel them, those feelings don't go away. It's just I feel everything. Yeah. And it's all amplified. It's a very I completely full,
0: understand.
1: full of life in all terms of feelings. That's well,
0: really, really smart of you to like hone in on your instincts and know that your gut instinct is usually right. And maybe from trial and error, you've figured this out over the years and to really just go with that because that I think a lot of people struggle with those important decisions that are solely made by you that you need to to make and whether you trust your instinct or you what if you listen to somebody else and it's the wrong it's the wrong advice so I think trusting your own instinct is something you need to not only hone and get really good at but also execute on a daily basis
1: I agree and I think being an entrepreneur you have to be able to make a decision roll with it And then know that you always have options and flexibility. Flexibility. you can change your mind at any time. You can always figure it out. Yeah.
0: That's actually something I wanted to ask you about was... Failure, because for me, when I was running Mrs. Vintage, I obviously I was trial and error, much like you had suggested is the way you've built your company. And some stuff just did not work. It was like a campaign that I came up with that wasn't successful, but I had ended up learning so much from doing it that it made me stronger and made me better. So, are there any times where you felt like you have really failed at something, but it ended up being for the best? All the time. <laughs> I mean, I think. What I really
1: um, try to do that like gives me some sort of sanity, and mm-hmm. knowing that like I always have you know opportunities that I'm working on, um, is that I have ideas always at different stages. So like I look at ideas and I put them into a bucket A, B, or C. So I'm always working on little ideas that I never really master like right out of the gate. It's not like oh my god we're doing this big huge launch and I haven't tested it. I think it's like it's about testing the ideas and seeing if they're going to stick in whatever way you can at the lowest price. So whether that's like literally putting an Instagram up and you're like, Hey, do you like this idea or do you want to see more of this? Mm-hmm. And just kind of asking like before you like build this big, pretty new page on your site and no one goes to it. Right. Um, which I've done. So I've you do like some mini trial I, and errors, mini trial and errors. <laughs> but I don't know if you guys remember, but I launched, um, This, Or I tested out this box idea where after a spark hunt, you could get um, a box sent home to you and kind of have the thrill of the hunt um, come to your door. Um, I really liked the idea. I still think it's a cool idea, but it didn't work.
0: Okay. Um, That's
1: interesting. Yeah.
0: with the whole box thing, everybody's doing these subscription-based businesses, and that sounds like people would totally be interested in that.
1: Yeah. Um, I think... Again, timing. It was just yeah. bad timing. Like, I wasn't big enough. Like, it didn't have enough, maybe, traffic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't executed properly, too. Um, I think there's really, there's something really powerful about staying focused, too. Like, whenever I'm at a uh, flea market or antique fair, my dad's always like, well, when are we going to expand into, like, furniture and home? And, like, what if we just, like, did um, leather goods and accessories? And while it all sounds good, you sometimes have to. There's like beauty in
0: staying focused. Totally. And, and that's one of the something. hardest things is to stay really focused on your brand. And I feel like customers really appreciate that focus, that hyper focus. Because when you look at the big brands like J. Crew and The Gap, how much have they changed over the years? Not very much. They've stayed super focused on their clients and who their clients are. So I think that's like something everyone should take away is like staying super, super focused. And then the little trial and errors. I mean, that's great. That's testing out your market. It's how
1: you build a brand. Yeah.
0: And making sure like you don't launch a huge expensive campaign and then it, it becomes a, we could take down a company really. So when you, when you stay small and you stay lean, you're able to kind of be flexible and grow organically mm-hmm. a little bit better. You
1: can't put all of your eggs in one basket. Yeah.
0: Good plan. Oh, you've given us such great advice. I've absolutely loved this interview. Unfortunately we are out of time, but it's been so fun. And, um, if you guys want to, you obviously should shop on her website. Her website is sweetandspark.com. She's got so much great stuff. I actually did want to ask you about the spark party. I don't know if you yeah, can touch on it. I'll, I'll
1: touch on it quickly, but it
0: sounds so fun. Yeah. Spark
1: parties are awesome. We do them all over the country. Literally. If you host one, you just get a box of jewelry with everything you need for a super oh, easy setup. And
0: it's, it's like, a dream.
1: It's like, <laughs> it's kind of like the, the box idea that didn't work because it's taking that and actually it is a into a spark party where you can, um, have the thrill of the hunt
0: come home to you. So basically you sign up to be a host, which we've all seen these sort of rep based, um, parties and Jillian will send you, was it based on your style? Do you pick Yeah, that So it's about
1: 50 pieces of jewelry with, um, marketing materials, jewelry stands, That's a so PayPal fun. swiper. You literally have this party and at the end of the party, you make 20% commission on your sales. We've had hosts make up... Over $500. There's no cap on what you can make. And oh. the cool thing about a spark party is that you get actual cash for commission. And so a lot of people do these parties and then give the money to, to, um, A cause they feel really strongly about it's great for charity fundraising um there it's not just like free jewelry right which is all it's all great if you want to use the money on jewelry but like sometimes it's like paying it back it's like let's pay it forward and give it to something that you really believe in
0: and i feel like that could be such a great fun bridesmaid bonding thing if you do it for weddings so like get your bride let's say you're the maid of honor do a spark party find some stuff for the wedding and maybe you all get some similar stuff and it's like great bonding too so fun well that's an awesome idea you are full of awesome ideas so i can't wait to see where you go and just follow you and follow your brand has been so much fun everybody you need to follow her instagram again is sweet N spark with an n and um i'm your host julia Hahn, reminding you to surround yourself with people like jillian because you are the company you keep.